Hey, this is Coach Freddie here, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and welcome to the I Have for Evolution, where we'll be discussing the benefits of growing and using industrial hemp for people, planet, and profit. Conversations about the history, legalization, farming, harvesting, processing, building, manufacturing, investing, and how industrial hemp can benefit people's lives, heal the planet, and how it can be used to make thousands of products and boost the economy and business. So, are you ready to join the iHemp revolution? Um, when it comes to cannabis, it's really, it is all about you know, education, um, making sure that we get rid of the stigma associated with it, um, that we are sharing our truths um, about our, our own usage or um, how it's helped people in our families, and that's how progress happens. So the, the title for my presentation today is Cannabis Conquering, Collaborating, and Cooperating. And it's about the, you know, spirit, the, having the mindset of the Lion of Judah, and uh, you know the Rastafarian community, and I'm not a Rastafarian, but I appreciate uh, the struggle, and I appreciate how the Rastafarian community has always been at the forefront, has already taken, has has always taken the blows um, for for the stigma, and it, it's about moving things forward in based on the tenets, the principles that I've observed um, from even if you look biblically and look at the Torah. Um, the, the Judah, the tribe of Judah, as well as um, you know the representation within the Rastafarian community, uh, and my son's name is Judah uh, for that reason because I've always appreciated those principles. So just to give you a little background on myself, um, I am general counsel of Minorities for Medical Marijuana. I am in-house counsel for um, Green Roads. It's a CBD company. Um, as Denisha indicated, I am a cannapreneur, so I have a few cannabis businesses, which we, we can talk about. Um, you know, Green Sustainable Strong, which is agricultural and cannabis related. Um, Canna Headhunters, which is a uh, staffing agency for cannabis. And I also work with the EOP Foundation's uh, Medical Cannabinoid Research and Policy Institute based in DC. So a lot of hats worn. Uh, you know, they say you, you can't uh, do everything well, um, but you can at least try, especially if um, the reason why your motivation is about helping people, helping patients. So I'm gonna move through these slides and I hope you enjoy the presentation. The, the topics that I'm going to cover today um, include um, you know, clearing the air on cannabis, adopting the mindset of the Lion Tribe, as I mentioned, um, the stages of legalization to give you a, a taste for the national footprint, the federal question, which is always a question um, when we talk about this space, um, vertical versus horizontal integration, just a little snippet on legalization and um, licensing, um, the importance of decriminalization, the need for diversity, and talking about what about the brown people, um, medical benefits and patient access, uh, hemp versus marijuana, I don't want to read to you, but these are the topics, uh, uses of industrial hemp, CBD industry, ancillary businesses, and areas of law touch. And finally, we'll close out with organizations that you can get involved in so that you can learn more about cannabis on a regular basis in between coming to attend Kaya Fest and um, maybe start your own businesses one day. 
So adopting the mindset of the lion tribe while advocating. So I, I came up with these three C words, but these three concepts that I, I feel represent um, the tribe of Judah, the Rastafarian community, and um, you know progressive movements um, throughout history. Um, the first part is about conquering. So in this growing industry, a lot of times, especially if you're in a mature market like California, you would think that, oh, it's already been done, it's already been written. Legislation is changing every single time that, that the legislators are in session. So there's still opportunity to make some impactful change that can um, Im impact communities. Um, you can still influence the industry, and that's the conquering spirit. Collaboration is identifying like-minded individuals, people who, um, who understand the benefits and understand that there are no fatalities and um, you know cannabis saves lives and aligning with them in an organized and strategic fashion and then finally cooperation is more about those individuals that don't share your views those individuals who think a little differently but may be aligned with a couple concepts you believe in or you're convincing them and you get them on board with you so that you can cooperate and make progressive change so high level, just to give you a national footprint, we'll talk about the stages of legalization. As I mentioned, California is a mature market. It was you know, the first legalized market in the United States. Um, and you know, we're a recreational market, so you have medical as well as recreational. Um, when you look at a state like Florida, where I'm from, you know, they've just become medical in the past couple of years. So they have a long way to go. Uh, there's a lot of things that we desire as far as the legislative changes that we're still fighting for. There's no flour in Florida. Um, you know, it's only extracts and cartridges, and we're working to get edibles in, included as well. The law says so, but there are no rules, so no edibles are currently being sold. So those are the types of things that we're fighting. So the stages of legalization, and I want to go through this because just because it's um, you know recreational in your state, there's opportunity in other states. So don't restrict yourself if you are interested in the business opportunity to your particular state because based on your experience or the friends that you know in the industry, there may be potential for you to consult in other states as well as other countries. I go back and forth to, the, to Jamaica and work with clients in Jamaica. Um, I'm barred in Florida, but I work as a consultant across the United States as well as in Jamaica. The Bahamas is the same, working on legalization efforts in the Bahamas. And then Antigua just announced that they're having legalization. So these are the types of things that you can get involved in. And that's why it's important to understand the national footprint, because there may be op more opportunity in, opportunities in other states or other countries um, as opposed to here. Uh, just an example, I'm going to go to England. Um, May 21st, they're having probably their third cannabis conference in the country, which is Cannabis Europa. And that's going to be a huge opportunity to meet with investors, meet with interested parties, meet with legislators to impact change across, across the pond. So the, the stages are a strict non-legal state. So for, for those states, they usually end up in the middle of the country or in the south uh, of the United States non-legal with decriminalization, usually the first movement you start to see is the decriminalization where instead of arrests, you're going to see people um, get penalties such as fines as punishment for possession charges. And it's definitely a good first step, but of course our aspiration is full legalization. 
Then you have a medical marijuana state, which is like Florida. So there is no recreational use there that's permitted by the government, but you do have dispensaries that have opened up. We have probably about 30 dispensaries open in the state of Florida. We have 13 license holders that are vertical, and I'll talk to you a little bit about vertical versus horizontal licenses. And then you have a recreational state like California. So the federal question. You know, when, when clients come and ask me, you know, I want to get involved, but is it legal? You know, I have to be clear that it's still a gray area. Um, as far as federal legalization, we, uh, you know, counted on the Cole Memorandum, uh, which basically allowed the states to have a highly regulated market, market if they so choose, chose to, um, and that was permissive of that. And then recently, um, Jeff Sessions sent out a memo and everybody in the media was saying, oh, he rescinded the Cole memo, and it was this big deal. Banks were closing accounts across the country because they were like, now we're uncomfortable having accounts for cannabis businesses. Um, but I think that's a, that was a, definitely an exaggeration. It wasn't a rescindment. There was really a key change, which is him giving the authority to the attorney generals for the states to, um, uh, to enforce. So it's, it really was more of the same of the Cole Memo, but the way it was uh, proposed in the media was it was this huge change. But as we can see, nothing has changed since before he, since before he issued that memorandum. Um, one issue I always make sure that I speak about is descheduling versus rescheduling. So as we become activists and advocates, we need to understand that, yes, it, uh, uh, marijuana is a Schedule One drug at this time. However, what we want as activists is descheduling. Descheduling will allow our current environment, which provides opportunity for small business, to, um, to, to continue. Rescheduling may have it being scheduled as Schedule Four, where that activity will have to flow through the pharmaceutical industry which we've seen challenges with how that's worked with other narcotics, other drugs, and we would prefer to see the same opportunity for the dispensary spaces that we have now, um, the small business opportunity where someone could say, I just want a cultivation license or I just want a dispensing license, and they have a chance to participate as opposed to it just being left up to big farmers. So when you hear those conversation about um, descheduling versus rescheduling, let's make sure we educate about there is a difference and descheduling is the direction we want to go to so that you know states like Colorado, California, where they're seeing the tax revenues, Nevada as well, they're seeing the tax revenues that's pouring into their education systems, uh, pouring into their, um, redoing their streets, um, pouring into alle alleviating their homelessness issues, that we will see that activity um, continue. So licensing, high level, um, uh, you know, I think the most important thing you need to understand when it comes to a license is some states are vertical, some are horizontal. So vertical versus horizontal integration. If it's a vertical environment, and that usually is the environment that you're in when, when a state first goes legal, um, requires that the license holder do the cultivation, they do the extraction and processing, they do the dispensing, they do the transportation, and everything resides in that, in that one license. The reasons why we oppose that as activists is because, one, for patients, it limits the strain availability, 
Because if you have one person doing everything, they're just gonna do cookie cutter stuff. Whereas if you allow opportunity for more, uh, I guess what they call artisan uh, participation, um, then you're gonna see a variety of strains. Also, the cost associated with applying for a vertical license is a, a huge barrier uh, for a lot of communities, uh, a lot of people from various socioeconomic statuses. So we believe in an open and free market. So with the horizontal, there'll be various licenses where you can get just a cultivation license if you were a farm or, or, or you've grown before, or you can get just an extraction and processing license. You can get just a transportation license so that more people, um, there's more diversity in the participation from a socioeconomic perspective, from a racial perspective, from a gender perspective. Um, so government arguments for vertical integration is, you know, they'll say, oh, we want to know who we're doing business with. We want more control. But as we've seen, eventually states do go to a horizontal environment. It just takes advocacy and activism for that to happen. And again, minorities are fighting for horizontal integration because the cost of a vertical license is a huge barrier. An example is Florida. To get a license, the application fee alone, which is non-refundable, is $60,000. Who has $60,000 to say, if I get it, great, but if I don't get it, I can afford to lose $60,000. Not many people, and that's why they can't participate. So the importance of decriminalization. Decriminalization is, um, you know, it's, it's critical. We have Cory Booker's uh, Marijuana Justice Act, which, which I would highly recommend everyone support and write their Congress people to support that Senate bill. There's, um, there's support on the House side as well um, for the Marijuana Justice Act, which will um, kind of combat some of the issues with the war on drugs. It allowed people who are incarcerated for uh, nonviolent marijuana crimes to be released. It'll legalize fully marijuana. And, and that's, if we can do that on a federal level, we won't be as vulnerable to the movement of individual states. Um, so we have the war on drugs that took place. It disparately affected certain communities. Um, now you're seeing more people agree with the fact that the war on drugs hurt communities. Um, we had mass incarceration right after the war on drugs or as a, as a bonus to the war on drugs. Um, and there are too many um, people that are incarcerated away from their families, children growing up without their parents, which have collateral impacts. And you know, when you talk about you know, a marijuana charge, it's usually that gateway to the prison system. A marijuana charge is a gateway to the prison system. So the effect of that is there are students who are good students, but because they may use marijuana for, it could be for medicinal purposes, um, they are not, they're not able to go to college. They're not able to get financial aid because they've been in trouble for a nonviolent marijuana crime. So these are the things we need to be mindful of. Um, so what about the brown people? I always speak about diversity. Uh, diversity means, you know, having, you know, racial diversity. It also means having women involved. It means having veterans involved. But when you look specifically at, you know, people of color and their involvement in the industry in this country, there's a huge opportunity for improvement. So when you look at the cannabis industry ownership, it's 1% African American, 1% black. Um, you know, as opposed to when you look at those who've been incarcerated, um, they represent the majority. So that's something that does not make sense on its face and needs to be remedied. 
Um, the, also, there's post-traumatic stress associated with a lot of racial issues we've seen, especially with some of the police brutality things that have been going on, and there's a need for access to medicine. We need to make sure that where these dispensaries are being placed are accessible to all communities, whether they're in you know, minority urban communities or rural communities, and that's why we need um, black politician involvement, all politician involvement. So the medical benefits, um, we, I know you had Dr. Jenny speaking, she's a good friend of mine earlier this morning, um, so I don't wanna um, spend too much time on the endocannabinoid system, but basically it's a system throughout our body that mirrors the plants. We, ha we have receptors for CBD in our bodies. Um, we used to get this from our nutrition when our livestock grazed on hemp, and now um, because of the lack of this nutrition, we're seeing an increase in, in illness. Uh, when you talk about chronic conditions um, where medical marijuana is found to be helpful, they include sickle cell, ALS, HIV and AIDS, cancer, um, a, a number of uh, conditions. Um, and also it's been helpful in hospice care where people are given a, a chance to enjoy their loved ones as long as possible. And sometimes we've seen dramatic turnarounds with the use of marijuana as opposed to traditional medicine. So it's very important to understand that physicians are that gateway. They are the gatekeepers and we have to educate our own physicians. We need to make sure that your physician is a recommending physician. And if more patients insist on it, then we're gonna see more access to the plan across the country. And finally, there's a growing amount of research that's taking place. The Albert Einstein Institute is uh, doing research on cannabis to treat opioid addi addiction. Um, they're using rats, and basically the premise behind this is the rats have, can push a button and get an opioid, and then over time they give them CBD, and that, that desire for the opioid lessens and lessens and lessens till they are weaned off the opioid. We're seeing uh, that same result with the use of CBD and medical marijuana for people who are addicted to, um, to narcotics, addicted to opioids. Um, we have a state of emergency in this country with regards to opioid addiction, and this really is the answer. And We need to start sharing our stories to make sure that the politicians who are making the rules understand this. So hemp versus marijuana. So uh, there's a lot of confusion across the country as far as hemp and marijuana. Yes, hemp is, was wrapped up in being a Schedule I uh, drug with marijuana. However, we have, whereas with marijuana, you see the Cole memo giving the authority for states to operate in a legal space. Um, you see the Farm Bill of 2014, Section 7606, gives the authority for hemp production and hemp activity. So it legalizes industrial hemp. And industrial hemp is defined, um, one, by its sourcing, which is stalks and stems, and also um, by the percentage of THC, which is less than 0.3% THC. Um, it, it allows research uh, to be done with universities and state departments of agriculture, but that research includes marketing research, which is why we are allowed to sell hemp in our current environment and produce hemp-derived CBD and other products made out of, out of hemp. So just speaking about hemp, and I'm sure we had quite a few people who are hemp advocates on the agenda today, um, but there's over 50,000 uses for hemp. Uh, the way we look at it, and our, our, some of my clients um, who are more on the hemp side of things, the way they look at it is, you know, you can grow fields and fields and fields of marijuana, 
but you gotta find people who will purchase and smoke it. You buy, you plant fields and fields and fields of hemp, you'll find use for it. There's already a demand for the textiles, there's a demand for the building materials, there's a, a demand for the medicine, so um, the food, uh, you know, using hemp as microgreens, Whole Foods is selling baby hemp leaf as, as a salad. So, you know, with hemp, there's so many uses that there's always gonna be a demand. So I encourage people to really look at that as a, a potential business opportunity, but also an education opportunity. What we're seeing, unfortunately, recently, are some legal challenges to um, whether CBD is legal. Um, I go to combat some of these issues. I've been to Iowa a couple times. I've been to Nebraska. In Nebraska, there's a, um, a lady who was, oh, actually a couple, who was arrested for um, having selling CBD out in a store and actually arrested, she's like, a grandma, um, you know, over 60 years old, just looks like she bakes cookies all the time, and she had spent 18 hours in jail for CBD, which shouldn't happen, and that's why, you know, my client, Green Roads, we go and we support those people if they're selling our product, because we know that it's just a misinterpretation of the law. There is an um, important case that we're waiting for an opinion on out of the Ninth Circuit in uh, San Francisco, um, and it's Hemp Industries versus the USDEA. I would recommend that you go, you, well, you YouTube, because the actual hearing that took place on February 15, 2018, is actually on YouTube. Watch that video. Watch the DEA's response to questions. Basically, their attitude was, oh, well, we're not saying that it's illegal, but you know, if you get challenged on it, then you just need to make a case to challenge the charge that you have, or you challenge the seizure, which is insufficient in my opinion. We're waiting for the judge's opinion on that, but that will be industry changing, so please pay attention to that case. So we talked a little bit about CBD, CBD oils. There's a lot of information on CBD oils, topicals with CBD. I have in that picture Green Rose um, pain cream um, that's available. Uh, I urge you to watch videos on epilepsy and Parkinson's and how these individuals with the use of marijuana, with the use of CBD, instantly recover. So just to demonstrate what that means is, um, you know, there's a, a lady that I know through a friend, and she has Parkinson's. And the friend got her access to THC product, CBD product, and she, when she called her the next time, she sounded like a different person. Her voice wasn't shaking. And she was saying, thank you so much. This is the first time I've been able to actually sleep in the same bed with my husband in years. So I just want to use it as an example to demonstrate what it means for people's lives for legalization to take place. An epilepsy example, very similar, you know, I had a client who came to me and he said, you know, this industry is really important to me because my sister died at 21 from epilepsy. So she was getting marijuana illegally through her boyfriend. Her boyfriend got arrested and then she had no one to get the uh, marijuana for her. And then she ended up passing away at 21 years old from epilepsy. At this point, there's no individual should, that should pass away from epilepsy without their physician giving them an option to try medical marijuana and or CBD to treat their symptoms. That is, that is a travesty that people are still dying because they don't have access to the medicine. So 
Um, when you talk about ancillary businesses, I have my two brands up there, but we always recommend that when people, or when I have people come and they're like, I want to get in the cannabis industry, I always kind of kick back to them, well, you know, what have you done? Have you grown before? Have you been involved before? And usually the answer is no, I just, you know, I see the headlines, I know there's money in it. And I always tell them, what do you do currently? Oh, I'm an accountant. Well, is you need to study the you know rule 280e of the irs tax code so that you can be an accountant that covers the cannabis industry or i i have a cannabis staffing agency so you know when they talk about the gold rush it's the people who sold the picks and shovels were the people who made the most money so really keep that in mind when you're deciding how you want to get involved in the cannabis industry um, what you're currently good at, what your current skill set is, and then also incorporate that, as I said, the conquering mindset, the collaborative mindset, and find your friends, like-minded people, where you have this skill, they have this skill, they have this skill, you come together as a community and you start a can of business, you'll increase your chances of success. Um, there's also a huge opportunity for, for attorneys as well. So just to give you an idea of the areas of law that are touched by the cannabis industry, you know, government law, working with legislators, lobbying. I do lobbying in the state of Florida as well as federally, and I've started to do lobbying in the state of Maryland as far as legalization. So there's tons of activity there. Health law, tremendous. A lot of patients are, you know, crying out for, my doctor won't recommend or, you know, you know, if doctors are not recommending the right thing, there's a lot of health law impacts. Um, whether the health insurance covers the physician if they recommend, things like that. Um, criminal law is huge. We spoke about decriminalization. Real estate law, massive, especially, especially, especially in new emerging markets. So when you look at, yes, California is mature, but then you have Virginia just passed their first cannabis legislation. Missouri just passed their first cannabis legislation. In states like that where things are just starting, there's huge opportunity um, with regards to real estate. Patent, trademark, and copyright. I'm hearing a lot of this in the Caribbean especially as far as protecting intellectual property. It is huge, and I know Ross Ayavi is going to be speaking after me, and he has uh, intricate knowledge about um, the Caribbean market. Um, administrative law, family law, we're going to start seeing more custody issues, and I'm already hearing it where one spouse is a medical patient, or one, one parent is a medical patient, the other is not, and the other one says, well, they use cannabis, so they don't, they're not a good parent. And then courts are starting to make decisions based on that, and based on being, them being legitimate patients and their ability to um, you know, have custody of their children. As a cannabis attorney, it's something I'm mindful of all the time, because I have a six-year-old child. So I'm always in a defensive posture when it comes to discussing my usage uh, with regards to you know how I'll be viewed as a parent, so that is a real a real situation, and family laws impacted. Employment laws huge right now. Um, the the presiding uh, opinion on that is the individual private companies do have the right to terminate um, individuals who are if it's against their rules. So they have the option. They have the right to make their own rules regard with regards to cannabis use. Agricultural law, I work with a lot of farmers. Land use law, land use and zoning, that is a huge area that's impacted. And I encourage you to be involved with your individual municipalities and cities to determine how your patients in your community get access to the plant. And there are many more areas.
So I'm going to close out with, uh, I'm going to have one slide of predictions, but organizations to get involved in. And Minorities for Medical Marijuana is very personal to me because I've been their general counsel from the beginning. And um, they, again, they work with veterans, they work with women, they work with people of color um, to help with legalization uh, efforts. An example is, you know, can felons get licenses and things like that? Well, you know, it shouldn't be whether you've ever had a felony. There needs to be something like passing a, you know, level two background check or a felony within five years or something reasonable. Not if you've ever had a felony, you are, you're not eligible for becoming a license holder. Normal's been around for a long time. They've done great, fantastic work. I highly encourage you to get involved with Normal. Uh, there's, I'm sure there's chapters, multiple chapters close to you. Patients out of times, that's really considered the original because that's a nurse education program focused on cannabis. They've been having conference, conferences for decades educating the medical community about cannabis and the benefits. Indica is a new one. They are actually based out of California. Benita Money, who I'll probably see this evening, is um, the, the founder of Indica. Um, Cannabis Cultural Association, based out of um, New York, uh, Jake Plowden's organization. Women Grow, a great organization across the country, very powerful and impactful and empowering for women. So I also encourage you to, grow, to, to join that. And the Minority Cannabis Business Association, based out of DC, um, they do a lot of great work as well. So podcasts and conferences, I, uh, I'm on a radio show called Cannabis Life Radio. You can go to www.c, like C for cannabis, cliferadio.com, and you can watch our past three seasons of episodes where we've interviewed physicians, politicians, um, activists, um, and we've spoken about the topics that touch the, the nation. So that's Cannabis Life Radio. And the No 420 is done by Jake, Jake Plowden, who I mentioned, and also uh, Joe Bondi out of New York, and good friends of mine. Whom Did You Know is uh, through 420 Media with Carrie Accardi. And then uh, as far as conferences, the big, big, big one is MJ Biz Conference, Conference, usually the Vegas one, which happens around November. Um, the Women Grow Conference, they have leadership summits. I just went to uh, the leadership summit a couple months ago, but go on their website, they have great conferences. And then the Cannabis World Congress and Business Expo is gonna happen May 31st to June 2nd, and that's gonna take place in New York City. Um, I'll be covering it for Cannabis Life Radio. And I know there's a CannaCon happening that same weekend in Detroit, Michigan. Um, predictions for the future, there's, we're going to see increased big pharma uh, involvement. Um, I believe there's room for big pharma and there's room for what we currently do and how we've been operating. Um, so they can coexist, uh, especially when you're talking about bulk orders and things like that and patient access. But be, just being mindful and, and understand legislation if it's trying to force out the small players and give big pharma the whole industry. The, we need to be um, aware and prepared to, active, to be activists. National legalization, I think, is very, very, very close. From the hemp side, Mitch McConnell has introduced a bill um, for legalization of hemp. There's already a, another uh, hemp bill, I believe it was 17, House Bill 1730, um, that was already in place. And I mentioned uh, Cory Booker's Marijuana Justice Act. Banking issues, I really anticipate they'll be resolved soon. We already have banks that are playing in this space. Um, we, there are bills going through Congress asking for a reassessment of how um, legal marijuana businesses are taxed. And then also more diversity involvement. 
um, is what I predict for the future. So I just want to thank you. I look forward to seeing all of you over this wonderful Kaya Fest weekend where we celebrate um, the legacy of the Marley family and we celebrate the legalization of the plant and, and the liberty and, and also that conquering spirit of the line of Judah. I've included my information here. It includes my, my email address is SMP Esquire, E-S-Q-U-I-R-E. So SMP Sarah Michael Paul Esquire at Outlook.com and my cell phone number is 561-929-4678. So I want to be available as a resource for you. Um, I, legalization is basically all that I do. I've um, you know given my life to legalization and patience, and we need help. So I encourage you to join me, um, and I look forward to hearing from you and seeing all the good work that you are going to be doing. So thank you so much. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today and make sure that you subscribe to the iHemp Revolution podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Give us a review and follow us on facebook.com forward slash iHempRevolution. Like us and then tell your friends. Help us spread the word about how using industrial hemp can benefit people, heal the planet, and provide long-term profit. This is your host, Coach Freddie, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and thanks for joining the iHemp Revolution.